have your Bibles with you tonight, would you open them please to the book of Proverbs as we continue a sermon series entitled, God Speaks. In just a moment, we're going to read Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. Many years ago, a financial firm that gave advice, investment advice, had a commercial that came on TV. The firm was called E.F. Hutton, and the commercial featured this little jingle, this little lingo. When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Well, when God speaks, we should listen. It says seven times in the book of Revelation as Jesus is writing to the seven churches. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And I remind you once again that the church is not a building, it's a people. And so when God is speaking, his people need to listen. Now I want to begin my message, which by the way is God speaks on what he hates, by talking about the fact that God is a God of love. God is love and love is God. Our God is a God of love. You can start in the book of Genesis. You can end in the book of Revelation. You can go through all 66 books in the Bible and you'll find that there is one consistent theme and it's this. God loves. God loves. God loves. He declares his love constantly, continually, over and over and over again. It seems like the Bible never wants us to forget that God loves. It declares his love. But not only does the Bible declare his love, the Bible also points us to a demonstration of his love. From the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, we see a finger is being pointed for us. A finger that says God not only talks the talk when it comes to love, he walks the walk. John 3.16 For God so loved the world. He so loved you and I that God didn't just declare that love, he demonstrated that love by giving to us his only beloved begotten son, Christ Jesus. That if we would believe in him, we would not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible that declares his love is the Bible that points us to where God demonstrated his love. And that's Calvary. Now, I want you to understand that. That our God is a God of love. But he's also a God of hate. This God who loves, declares it, demonstrates it, also is a God who has some hate. And in the book of Proverbs, we see seven things that God hates. Let's read verse 16 through 19 together. These six things does the Lord hate. Yes, these seven things are an abomination unto him. That word abomination means something that he intensely dislikes. It's 
not just an average hatred, but it's an intense hatred. Now, what are those seven things that the Bible would say are an abomination? Things that God absolutely, with an intensity, a passion, hates. A proud look, verse 17. A lying tongue. Hands that will shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. And he that soweth discord among the brethren. These are seven things that God hates. These are seven specific sins that God hates. I wonder why these seven are mentioned. I'm sure the writer of Proverbs could have mentioned a lot more. Or certainly could have mentioned some different ones. If you and I were asked to list the seven things that we believe God hates, we might would have an entirely different list. But why do these things, why does God hate these things? Because every one of these seven sins that are mentioned are destructive. They're pointed against somebody else. They're not pointed against you. They're not really even pointed against God. They're pointed against another human being for the purpose of destroying them. Every, seven, every one of those seven are about hurting somebody else for whatever your reason would be. Now, I want to say something, and I want you to listen to me carefully. I believe that God not only hates these sins, these specific seven sins that are hurtful to other people, destroy other people, both earthly and eternal destruction at times, but I believe He opposes those who commit these sins. You know, we're often told God loves the sinner and hates the sin, and I believe that. But I also believe this. God who hates sin also opposes those who commit the sins that he hates. If you had a Doberman pincher in your yard, and every time I walked by your yard, you saw me coming, you opened the gate, and you let your Doberman out, and he came and chewed on my right leg on Monday. And then you call him back. I come by your house on Tuesday. You open up your gate again. You let your Doberman out and he chews on my left leg. Then you call him back. I come back to your house on Wednesday. You let the Doberman out and he chews on my right arm. On Thursday, he chews on my left arm. Now listen, I'm going to hate your Doberman. But I'm going to be opposed to you because you're the one letting him out to bite me. And I believe it's that way with God. God hates sin, but He hates or opposes those who commit the sin that He hates. Wouldn't that make sense? Tonight I want us to look briefly at these seven sins. The message is not long. And as I talk about these seven sins, I want you to ask yourself the question... Is the pastor talking about me? <laughs> Am I talking about myself? Are we somehow guilty 
of thinking these things or actually doing these things? And if so, what do we need to do about them? Because God hates these sins, he calls them an abomination, and God is going to oppose those people who constantly, continually practice these sins. So let's look at the seven that are mentioned. The writer of Proverbs says, God hates a proud look. Literal translation, God hates eyes of arrogance. A proud look, eyes of arrogance. You know, pride overvalues self and undervalues everybody else. Pride is an I-based sin. And the Bible teaches us that it originated in Lucifer. Do you know that Lucifer was the highest-ranking angel, highest-ranking angelic being that God ever created? He was an archangel of the highest order. He was given the responsibility of leading the heavenly choir in praise to God. He was the worship leader of the angels. And yes, there's worship in heaven. And he led that worship. But something happened to Lucifer, the son of the morning. He turned and he changed and became Satan, the father of the night. And what happened to him was he got prideful. He wasn't content leading the worship. He wanted to be the worship. He wanted to be the worshiped one. And the Bible says that filled with I-ism, he rebelled against God. In Isaiah 14, Isaiah gives us the five eyes of Satan that led to his rebellion, to the downfall of one-third of the angelic realm, to the downfall of the human race by and large. In Isaiah 14, Satan says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne. I will be seated on that throne. I will take God off the throne. I will be seated on that throne. I will ascend to the clouds. I, this is Satan talking, I will be God. You know, pride will make a big fool out of a little man. And Satan was a fool. But nevertheless, he led a rebellion against God because of pride. God hates pride. It brings everything down with it. Just like it brought Satan down. Are you a prideful person? Do you believe you're the master of your own destiny? Do you believe you're the captain of your own ship? Well, you might be the captain of your own ship, but it's a sinking ship. And you might be the master of your own destiny, but where's your destiny going to be? 
The Lord hates a person who has pride because pride says it's all about me. Not about God, not about anybody. It's all about me. And if there's ever a theme song for our generation, it's all about me. That's what we believe. It's all about us. God hates a prideful look, a proud look. But secondly, notice in he, ho- he, he hates a lying tongue. This literally translates a mouth of deceit. You know, the, the Bible has a lot to say about the abuse of alcohol. But do you know the Bible says more about the abuse of the tongue than it does about the abuse of alcohol? Alcohol is really not man's big problem, although we shouldn't drink. The tongue is our problem. That's why God gives us two lips to clamp down on that tongue. and gives us some teeth to act as a fence to keep that tongue in. And even with the clamps and even with the, the fence, that tongue gets out. It wags a mile a minute. And out of it comes things that should never be said. Sometimes what comes out of it is lies. Lies. God warns us repeatedly not to have lying lips and deceitful tongues. You know, our politicians today would do well to read Proverbs chapter 6. How do you know when a politician's lying? Their mouth's moving. What a sad thing and tragic thing. We laugh about it. But isn't that one of the reasons why this country is headed downward and headed fast? You can't even trust anything they say. God says, I hate a lying tongue. People who spew out of their mouth the sewage of deceit and slander people who say things that are misleading, people who tell white lies or black lies. Thirdly, notice the third sin that God hates. He hates a proud look. He hates a lying tongue. He also says that he hates hands that shed innocent blood. Literal translation blood-stained hands that come from taking the life of someone who's innocent. God says, I hate someone who's got the stain of blood on their hands who are responsible for taking the life of somebody who's innocent. God is a God of life, and life is sacred to God. All life is sacred to God. Those that are outside the womb, that life is sacred to God. Those that are inside the womb, that life is sacred to God. Those that are up in inners and rich, their lives are sacred to God. Those that are down in outers and poor, their lives are sacred to God. Those that are white, their lives are sacred to God. Those that are people of color, Their lives are sacred to God. 
Those who are young, their lives are sacred to God. Those who are in the twilight years of their life, the elderly, their life is sacred to God. American life is sacred to God. And so is Asian life and African life and European life and Australian life. You listen to me, all life is sacred to God. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Any nation, any people that condones murder is a nation on borrowed time. You listen to me. Any nation or people who condone the murder of an innocent person, allow it to take place, and they do nothing. That nation is on borrowed time. The sand in the hourglass of time for that nation is rapidly running out. Look at our nation. We free murderers on technicalities. We have a legal system that has so many loopholes that it takes 19 attorneys to figure it out. People commit murder, everybody knows they committed the murder, and yet they walk out scot-free because somebody didn't tell them this or somebody didn't do that. We're condoning murder. We protect murderers. We put them in an asylum. We put them in prison. Claim to be able to rehabilitate them. And then we let them loose. The people that they murdered, their life wasn't precious, but the murderers are precious. We let them essentially live out their life in an asylum or in a prison or even back on the street again as they get probation, maybe. We allow men in white jackets who have an MD after their name kill unborn babies. We allow it. We legalize it. We license it. We encourage the Holocaust. Yes, the Holocaust against the unborn. We glorify murders. How? By watching it on television. By going to the big screen and paying to see the gore of people's lives being destroyed. God says, I hate people who have blood-stained hands that are part of murder. You don't have to do it to be part of it. You understand that? By saying nothing or allowing it or voting for it, you are guilty of it. Fourthly, the Bible says God hates hearts that devise wicked imaginations. Literal translation. God hates hearts 
plan iniquity. Listen to that word, plan iniquity. I know the words, when they get up in the morning, their mind is thinking. As they go through the day, their mind is thinking. As they go to bed at night, their mind is thinking. What is their mind thinking? Wicked imaginations. They're thinking about what they can do. Premeditated thinking about what they can do to harm somebody, to hurt somebody, to destroy something, to put something to death. In other words, they think about it. That's all they think about. They plan it in their mind. They practice it out. And then they carry it out. It's not, a, it's not a crime of passion that they're thinking about, where you just, in a spur of the moment, do something that you normally wouldn't do. It's not some coincidental or accidental sin that comes out of the weakness of the flesh. This is a much more intense type of sin. It's a much more deep type of crime because they've been thinking about it. They've been planning it and practicing it, and then they will carry it out. You know what he's talking about here, if you carry it a little bit further? Those mass murderers that we see today. Oh, they've got it all planned out in their mind. They practiced it in their mind. It's premeditated, and they do it. That's what he's talking about. Mass murderers, terrorists, who live to destroy. And then they destroy themselves. God hates that. Fifthly, God hates feet that are swift and running to mischief. Literal translation, God hates making haste to waste somebody's life. Wow. Do you know somebody that lives only to hurt others? I mean, that's all they live for, so they can run over here and hurt somebody, run over here, hurt somebody, Run over there, hurt somebody. Run over there, hurt somebody. I mean, their whole life is just one massive desire to hurt people. That's all their feet do. Their feet run to bring misery. The implication would be they have no guilt, they have no conscience, they have no compassion, they have no remorse, they have no repentance, they have no pity, they have no mercy. They find pleasure in terror, torment, and torture. They're human predators, no different than a lion who hunts prey. They hunt prey, and their prey is their fellow man. Their feet's constantly running to mischief. Sixthly, God hates false witnesses that speak lies. Literally translated, lying under oath. 
This would picture a courtroom scene where a witness is brought to the witness stand and they're given oath and they make a statement that they will tell the truth and nothing but the truth, so help them God. Do they still do that? I don't even do that anymore. And then they get on the witness stand and they just outright lie. If there's anything we learn from watching TV and the spectacle that we call Washington is that people lie all the time and nothing ever happens. Oh, they got to tell the truth for fear of perjury. Listen, there's no perjury. How many times has anybody ever got called in for perjury? We have no fear of God. We have no regard for the Bible. We have no respect for the law. We have no honor in ourselves. Doesn't matter if a person puts their hand on the Bible. Doesn't matter if they give an oath before God. They'll lie through their teeth anyway. And the lie is always meant to destroy somebody else. So remember, all of these sins are directed against other people for the purpose not of building them up, but tearing them down, not giving them life, but bring them death. And then lastly, the last sin. Remember, God hates these things, and he opposes those who do them. He hates those who sow discord among the people, among the brethren. Now, that word brethren could mean people in general, or it could be specifically talking about people of faith, our, our brothers and sisters in the family of God. God hates people who are drama makers and division seekers. Do you know anybody like that in your family? Maybe in your church, I sure hope not in the church, or the family, who just seem to thrive on drama, and if there's not enough drama, they'll create it. And in that drama, they want to see people argue, they want to see people fight, they want uproar, they won't rig them a row. <laughs> said, what's that mean? That means cause to get people to get upset. <laughs> Y'all look that up. That's a word. Keith, you look that word up. <laughs> He's sitting there going, look up the word. <laughs> but anyway, God hates those who keep a stir going whether it be in the home or whether it be in the church or whether it be in the community. And there's a thousand and one ways to do it. I don't have time to go through every way that you could do to keep a stir going. I'm just telling you, when you do that, God hates that sin. And you're going to find yourself fighting God one day over it. In closing, listen to me. You practice these sins... And God is going to hate those sins. You practice these sins and God is going to oppose you. You're going to find yourself fighting God. These are hateful sins that destroy people. And God is a God of building people up. You say, Pastor, I must confess tonight. I am guilty of some of these. If I don't 
if I have not committed these sins in my flesh, I've committed them here. I've committed them here. And understand something. Out of the mind and heart proceeds the issues of life. What a man thinketh is what he is. What a man thinketh is what he will do. And so as Barney Fife would say, you've got to nip stuff in the bud. When it comes into your mind, when it comes into your heart, you have to deal with it. If you don't deal with it, it's just going to continue to progress. And pretty soon your thoughts and feelings will become your attitude and your actions. Pastor, I'm guilty. So am I. What can we do? Confess our sin. The pastor talked to me. He was looking at me the whole sermon. I wasn't, God was. And you're looking at me. And I think you're looking back there at somebody, but nobody's there. <laughs> we got to confess we're guilty. And that's hard for some of us. Because these are abominations. And we need to repent of what we have done. Repent means we tell God we're sorry, and we're sorry enough to stop doing it. We confess, we repent. We stop doing those things. We try to ask the Lord to help control our thought life, our feeling life, our mouth, our mannerisms. We stop supporting people who are involved in these things. I'm not a political pastor, but I can tell you this. There's some clear choices coming up in this election. Are you going to vote for life or are you going to vote for death? All things else being equal. I'm voting for life. I'm not going to support somebody who has no problem killing certain people. Because if you won't stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves, one day nobody's going to stand up for you. Because I'm telling you, if they can kill the unborn and not win submission about it, they'll kill the elderly one day. What's the difference in killing an unborn baby in the womb and killing an old person outside the womb? They're both a burden on society. Why not let's go ahead and get rid of the handicapped and the disabled? They just suck our Social Security dry anyway, don't they? Why don't we just get rid of them? And By the way, why don't we get rid of some Christians? All they do is get in the way anyway. Oh, pastor, that could never happen. Ask the Jewish people in World War II if it can't happen. We need to quit supporting those that propagate things that God hates. Heads are bowed and eyes are